Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Michael Carey, and this episode is part two of a three-part series of men in the battle answering questions from women who are in the women in the battle groups. Now, if you are just tuning in, uh, this episode stands all by itself, so go ahead and listen to this one, but I highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one of this three-part series. Now, this series is going to be highly impactful to anyone who listens to it, but especially so for women who have uh, been impacted by the betrayal of unwanted sexual behavior, or women who attend women in the battle, uh, men in the battle guys, ministry leaders, parents, any one of those audiences will be greatly impacted by this podcast. So let's go ahead and listen in to part two of the men's panel. Can a man who has struggled struggled for years with chronically viewing women objectively in public ever be free from this. It is so triggering for me to go in public with my husband and doesn't feel safe because I know he has often been living in fantasy when in public. Hmm. Yeah. And, and this, um, you know, this just, uh, uh, is a continuation of that previous question, right. Um, in the same manner, um, is it possible for him? But when when we're dealing with uh, being out in public, um, it is it is a little bit different um, issue with the way the women dress. And I don't mean this as as um, any kind of a cop out, you know, or an excuse at all. I just want to throw that out there as um, it's uh, it it's it's an environment that men were not designed to live in. We were not designed to live in this day and age where women wear sports bras and yoga pants outside in public. We, we were not designed to see that uh, except for in the bedroom with our spouse. So it is an environment where things do become a lot more difficult. Um, so, but yes, it is, it is definitely possible. I mean, oogling uh, women and I see guys, you know, when I'm in a restaurant or whatever it is, and, and a woman walks by maybe to go to the restroom or whatever, and you see, you see them going like this, you know, and turning their heads and just their eyes are following her and so on. Um, that's inappropriate. That's unnecessary. And that's, that's, you know, in, in that line of, of uh, addictive behavior and what someone would do when they're wrapped up in the, in, in their addiction. So it is definitely um, possible for a man who's who's struggled for years chronically viewing women objectively in public um any any chronic behavior um compulsive behavior that uh, a person has struggled with for for many many years and my issue started when i was 11 and um it ended when i was 38 you know that's that's when i uh, started working on myself when, when i was 38 so 27 years um yes it is definitely possible to be free from this. And uh, uh-huh. yes, I would add to that. It is possible if he stops viewing porn, because if he does not stop viewing porn, he will not stop objectifying women. Well, yeah, I, good point, Rob. I'm assuming that he's maybe done that. And then, and then he, but he's still, you know, this is still behavior that's, that's still there, but um for sure yeah yes uh, the other behaviors need to stop as well right and on that too sports illustrated um 
movies with nudity, um, objectifying material in general is not going to yeah. help them. Do that. That's right. That's right. And um, I mean, I just remember going into a haircut at the barbershop um, just last week and when I sat down uh, waiting for to get a haircut and there's the Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit magazine, you know, sitting right there. And I'm like, you know, that's that's the, you know, the environment that that we live in. Uh, I did not pick it up and start looking at it. And um, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying like, this is the, the, the environment that's out there does, it, it makes it even more challenging, but um, certainly, yeah, if he's looking at porn, I mean, that's uh, the byproduct is that he's objectifying women everywhere, you know, whenever he's out and he's looking around and so on. Um and um, yeah, it's it really is a, a matter of of uh, feeling safe, you know. I think that's um, what women in the battle works works toward in in all of these you know, these last two questions is really really just um, what does it look like uh, to to get to safety, you know, if this is where your husband is is uh, stuck. What are the stats on men actually staying sober? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, that the answer there's there's so many different um, ways that that could be answered um, because if we look at statistics across the board um, for the um, statistic of 68% of Christian men struggle with inappropriate sexual behavior, unwanted sexual behavior. Um, out of that 68%, you know, uh, how many are actually going to uh, engage in a program and hit a rock bottom and get to that place where they really want to work on themselves, where they've identified a problem? Um, the, the statistics of men in the battle, how, how many you know, actually stay sober and men in the battle um, is it's it's a greater number than than the you know sixty eight percent. How many of the sixty eight percent of of Christian men are actually going to achieve freedom? Um, not all of them are even going to be involved in a program like Men in the Battle. Many guys will will behave this way, you know, um, for the rest of their lives. So the the statistics. Um, uh, and and it really you know it's not a specific question in you know what does it look like for men in the battle what does it look like for for guys that that hit a rock bottom what does it look like for guys that that uh, have achieved some levels of freedom and then staying so I'm I'm going to go with that you know staying sober if since the question is uh, actually staying sober I'm going to assume that maybe it's asking about someone who has achieved some freedom some sobriety right. And I think that um, the, you know, what are the statistics? I think that I've, you know, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't exactly know. We haven't taken polls, surveys from, from guys. I know uh, that there are a lot of guys who have experienced slips and relapses. And then there are guys who haven't, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, possibilities when, you know, if there is a slip and a relapse, uh, we pray that it's nowhere near the um, seriousness of the behavior that he was engaged in before, you know, especially crossing the flesh line and, and uh, being involved with another human being. 
but um yeah so it's it really is um uh the the statistics i just want to say that um it's it is possible i do not believe that relapse has to be part of every man's story where there are some programs out there that teach that it is and that you need to have a a relapse prevention program and and a plan you know when you relapse or whatever it is um so for for men in the battle what we teach is a 24-hour rule um and we have guys present this to their wives if there were a slip or a relapse or anything like that. I'm going to tell my men in the battle guys and I'm going to tell my wife within 24 hours of this behavior, I'm going to confess it, you know? Um, and of course, when it comes to telling you as a spouse, this is uh, uh, something that, um, you know, we tell them your wife needs to agree to this, of course, too, you know, it's up to you. If you don't want to hear this, that's, that's your choice. But uh, regardless, we ask them, to to talk to the guys in their group and to tell them um no matter what so um so that's you know so that that's that's our uh part of the program but the program really is all of the curriculum that that we're engaged in and and the goal is to develop guys who don't they 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 don't relapse they don't slip they don't have to behave that way again that's the uh the goal of the program Awesome. Uh, so these next questions are about marriage, relationship questions, reestablishing relationship, trust, connection, and sex. So do I ever bring him back in the fold or ever trust him? He lied many times before. I question if this is too big of a risk for me and for others. Um, yeah, so I got this uh, question and, you know, my first answer is bringing him back into the fold. I would say Yes, with a great big if. If he displays conviction and consistency in working his program, not necessarily perfection, but consistency and conviction. Um, as for trusting him again, um, it is a big risk. I understand that it's a it's a huge risk and it's scary. It's really scary. Um, in preparing for this, I listened to. Uh, a podcast with a, a betrayed partner um, coach. And she was explaining how she had to take her trust away from trusting her husband, from trusting his program, from trusting his sponsor. And she had to put her trust in God and just ground herself in her faith that God's going to take care of her. Um, I tell guys in my groups, that my wife can't trust me. I've proven that time and time again. Um, what she can trust in is that I'm convicted to do this. I'm convicted to walk into freedom. I'm convicted to stay closer to God. So uh, trusting in him, that's that's a tough one. Um, because uh, after years and years of gaslighting my wife and lying to her, um, I'm the last person she should trust. And I'm honest about that, but she can't trust that I'm I'm sticking with my program, uh, that I'm working really hard and I'm doing the best I can. And yes, I do 100% honesty, but what my wife, I think, if I, I'm not going to speak for her, but I believe she anchors herself more in her faith than she does in me. 
And that's what the lady in the podcast was sharing. Um, so I would take their advice over, over mine any day, but that's, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say, please trust your husband. Um, guys in my group probably wouldn't like me to say that, but, but it is true. Um, you've got to ground yourself and get yourself in a safe place. And then you can determine what, whether or not you can bring your husband back into the fold. Um, if he's displaying the proper behaviors. Um, and that's another big thing is believe in his behaviors. Michael, you wanna add anything to that? I wanted to just add part of what we work with. A lot of times a man is in this group and one of his early thoughts is how do I get my wife to trust me again? How do I convince her she can trust me again? And, and we try and kind of blow that question out of the water. It's not even a fair question. Uh, she shouldn't trust you. Um, the goal is not to convince your wife to trust you. The goal is to become trustworthy. Uh, that's in your control. And the degree to which you become trustworthy uh, is the new way that you live your life. And, um, and the rest, again, you trust God with the rest uh, rather than try and convince your wife of anything. And that's hard to do uh, for most men. Um, that's why we say it a lot uh, and, and keep moving them toward that. Yeah, yeah I, I like think... how you worded that, Brian. How do I get my wife? How do I get my wife to trust me? And that sounds like control, you know? How do I get her to trust me? How how do I make her trust me? How do I convince her? And so so that uh, just the wording of that sounds like he's, you know, trying to control it. And, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, beautiful you have to become a trustworthy person you you just need to live it out that's the way um to to do it winning her trust isn't something that you're going to do um by trying to control things and prove things and stuff that's uh, that's that's acting out of shame isn't it yeah and i like brian you said be trustworthy and one of the things we tell guys is and like Brian says, become trustworthy and then let Jesus be your advocate. Because time will tell the truth. So if your trust as a partner is in Jesus and I'm letting him be my advocate because I am trustworthy, the two can come together. Wow, that was that was good. I really like that. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, do people ever get involved with the betrayer's family again? I see no way. It's hard enough to let him back in my life. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of different directions to take this. Um, but uh, I could say, well, yes. Um, do ever do people ever get involved with the betrayer's family again? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, but I see the vision, you know, in this question, but what's behind it is um, seeing the difficulty because you have such a hard time uh, picturing inviting him back in um, to your life. And so uh, I, I would suggest, you know, this is, that isn't something that you have to entertain necessarily. And, you know, with the holidays coming up and all this stuff, um, my wife has some excellent teaching on that, what does the holidays have to look like? Well, they don't have to look like anything specific. You know, we don't have to go and put on a pretty face and pretend that everything is nicey, nice and good um, during during the holidays. 
we we don't you know we aren't we, when when we go to participate in holiday traditions out of obligation uh it's just you know it's not it it's not fun <laughs> it's not so so these kind of things i think um i think that it's you know if you're not in that position uh where you know you're you're able to even picture him you know coming back in and and picture that picturing that i think that it's fine to um to put it aside for a time uh but as you know if you're seeking reconciliation certainly over time um what uh, what happens with um the the betrayer and and the way that he needs to navigate his family would be with boundaries you know and it all depends on the level of relationship that he has and that you have and, and so on with the family, you know, when, when you're working more and more towards reconciliation, um, what, what are some, you know, some of the boundaries and some of the things that uh, some of the ways that you do want to interact with, with the family, it, uh, it doesn't have to, things don't um, have to look like they did before the disclosure, right? It changes everything. So certainly it's going to be different. Um, but, um, reconciliation, uh, so reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look like it did before, right? It, uh, you, you can certainly ask for things to be different. Uh, but what does that look like? Certainly, you know, um, being open to having relationship with the betrayers, family and whatever that looks like. Um, I, I think, you know, I think of going back to what Rob was just talking about and Brian and um, trusting God, you know, and um, what does that look like down the road of being, so being open to, um, to, to a new version of that relationship with his family, if you will, uh, is, <clears throat> is certainly good, a good idea, but, um, but I don't, I don't, ever suggest rushing in don't rush in you know take your time and uh care for your heart if a couple isn't married or engaged even and the only thing the relationship knows it is lies no physical intimacy and has been battling recovery almost the entire relationship is there any hope for a better future after doing a therapeutic disclosure slash polygraph? All right, I've got that. And I want to start by, I don't want to underestimate God. And I never want to say hope isn't possible. But if there is no honesty, let's be honest, there's no relationship. Um, and if by battling recovery means he's constantly still acting out, um, and he, and he's not sober yet or walking in freedom, it may feel like a therapeutic disclosure and a polygraph is kind of a clean slate and a clean start. But if he's still not free and still in active addiction, it will not change. A therapeutic disclosure and a polygraph does not make people gain sobriety. And if he's still lying and he's still acting out, then it's not going to help. Now, if he's been free for a while and he's got some freedom and he wants to do that and start a clean slate, that's a different story. But the question said battling recovery the whole time. 
So it makes me question how much freedom he's really has. It could be he's like, well, I'm going to start here. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, the, you know, Michael talked earlier about the disclosure and, and the polygraph. That's something that happens, you know, it's the fourth or fifth week we start talking or fifth or sixth week, we start talking about it because guys need to gain some freedom and some perspective before they do it, the therapeutic disclosure and the polygraph. So um, sometimes I, it is what it is. Um, if he's not, if he's still lying and he doesn't have, and that's all it is, then I'm sorry. It's just not really a good relationship. And just what? to hitchhike on that for a minute, the it almost goes without saying, but maybe that means we need to say it, is that getting married and having sex with your wife doesn't solve any of this either. Uh, it isn't something that actually having sex stops. Um, it, it's something that you need to get freedom from completely separate uh, from the idea of what does it mean to have uh, to have a sexual relationship, a healthy sexual relationship with your spouse. What is a good way to encourage my significant other to not let shame and guilt control him? Uh, I'd love to take a moment to talk about that. Um, it's a really good question. Uh, I think maybe the most important thing to say at the front end is that that's not something that you can fix, um, but it is something that you can encourage. Um, and uh, this is gonna sound like a pat answer, but I believe that the most important thing that you can do um, to help your spouse or loved one not experience shame and guilt is to pray for them. Uh, because this is a spiritual battle, especially any battle with shame is a spiritual battle. And it's, it's the most powerful weapon that the enemy has at his disposal. Uh, and so, so to pray, um, not necessarily with your husband, but, but to pray for him uh, is a really important piece. Um, I think it's also helpful if you can learn how to avoid shaming language uh, in your pain and in your anger. Um, things as obvious as name calling, um, but uh, I'm not telling you that you can't be honest. I'm just saying that, that, um, that there are times when we need to express our anger and not worry about editing it. But those aren't necessarily times with your spouse. Those are better uh, if you can have those times with your support group, with your therapist, with the other people that you're working with. Um, and uh, that unedited anger, unedited rage um, uh, can actually become uh, counterproductive in terms of, of the man's work to try to uh, shed the shame that he's experiencing. Uh, I know there's, there's a balance and a nuance to that. And uh, uh, you guys can correct me if you need to in, in terms of, of uh, I don't want you to feel responsible for your husband's shame. Uh, even if if you've lost your temper or you or you regret some of the things that you've said, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm just the question is how can I encourage him? That that's one of the ways. Um, 
Uh, and the other is to simply encourage them. Uh, and this can sound like totally out of the question, especially early on in recovery and betrayal. But, but if there are ways that you can honestly encourage your husband with something that is specific and deserved, things as simple as, um, I, I just want to encourage you in that I see how hard you're working on your homework for your group. And I just want you to know that, that I appreciate the work that you're doing there. Um, you know, something like that. Don't flatter him, but that's not the goal. Um, but, but if there are ways that you can genuinely encourage him, um, you know, that helps. But, but for the most part, the, the work of shedding shame is something that is done in, in a community of people, in our case, a community of men who are all doing the same thing together, who are learning how to be honest and vulnerable with each other. Uh, and that is the best antidote for shame is genuine vulnerability, which is uh, accompanied by grace. The, the idea of I've received grace for my vulnerability rather than judgment, um, that uh, disarms shame in a unique way. Yeah, and I, um, I can just add that um, coming to the Men in the Battle Intensive is a fabulous way to deal with shame. We mm-hmm. actually do hit it head on in several pieces, um, it, the intensive is not a men's retreat. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's emotional work. And, uh, the, the guys are usually exhausted by the end of the weekend. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, uh, it really is a huge, huge benefit for all the guys who attend. Um, so the next one is coming up March 11th, our spring intensive in, uh, the, Indianapolis area, just south of, uh, of Indianapolis. So, um, and the guys, um, yeah, they, they have access to register on, on our website. So that's, uh, that's huge. A huge, um, shame, uh, is, is, is hit head on and guys, uh, leave, uh, changed. You know, so many guys say that their lives have, have been changed and, and it's one of those weekends that they'll remember for the rest of their life.